0: Hello, everyone, and welcome. I am very pleased to have Dr. Karen Wilson as my guest today. Karen Wilson is a clinical neuropsychologist, owner of a private practice in Los Angeles, California, and founder of ChildNexus.com. She is a professor, graduate coordinator, and chair of the Department of Psychology at California State University, Dominguez Hills. She is also a voluntary assistant clinical professor in the Medical Psychology Assessment Center at the Semmel Institute for Neuroscience and Behavior at UCLA. Dr. Wilson specializes in the assessment of neurodevelopmental disorders in children and adolescents, and she has extensive experience evaluating children and adults who present with neurological, medical, and psychiatric disorders. Dr. Wilson has given a number of presentations at national conferences and has published abstracts and articles in national journals. She has received research funding from the National Institute of Health and the Canadian Institute of Health Research. Dr. Wilson has received a number of awards for her work and was recognized by the California Legislature Assembly for her dedication and commitment to students and the community. Welcome, Karen, and thank you so much for joining me today to discuss the importance of getting the right type of evaluation done for your loved one who may have special needs and is facing certain challenges.
1: Hi, Gilda. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on this podcast today. I really appreciate this opportunity for us to have a discussion.
0: And I'm very appreciative of you taking time to talk with me today. So to begin with... When a parent observes that their child is struggling in school, socially, and in other ways, what is the next most important step that they can take, in your opinion?
1: I think one of the things that they can do in terms of initial steps is really to document their observations, um, make note of the kinds of struggles the child is experiencing, whether it be following directions, being forgetful, having difficult Having difficulty working independently, and then just keeping track of that information, and and then really validating your observations with your child's teacher about the difficulties and behaviors that may be observed at school, and are those same things being observed um, that are being observed at home also being observed at school? You may even want to check in with the babysitter, or the nanny, or the or your child's soccer coach to see if some of these things are being observed in one or more settings because that will let you know the pervasiveness of the difficulty and help to pinpoint where you need to intervene and what the next step should be. So I think that's probably a good first step is to really kind of keep track of your observations and then validate those observations with others to see if other people are seeing the same thing that you are.
0: Okay and once we have done that. Once, uh, as a parent, we've made our observations, we've discussed these things with other people, you know, we've written them down and, and made sure that our notes are as thorough as they can be, then the next step would be moving to an appropriate assessment. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I think that, and and sometimes the next step is just to jump right into an evaluation. Sometimes schools will will, will kind of tweak some things at school and see if that makes a difference. But what I always caution parents is that if if a school is going to offer support before an evaluation, that you don't wait too long. So if they say, you know, I'm going to change the seating arrangement or I'm going to change, you know, the time of day when we're introducing this particular um, work and see if that makes a difference. Well, you don't want that to go on for for three months and there not be any significant changes observed. So you want to make sure that you're checking in with the teacher to see if things that they have suggested, it may be a tutor, it might be working with the teacher before school on a particular subject area, if that is making, is moving the needle significantly. And if it's not, then it's really time to start to talk to the school about an assessment um, and even seeking a private assessment if that would be appropriate to really understand why a child is struggling Because kids can struggle for so many different reasons, and if you don't know why, you just don't know where to intervene. You know, I've seen so many times when kids could be struggling with, you know, parents will say, well, I think they might have attention issues because they can't sit still to read. Well, that could be true. It could be because they're having reading difficulties, and they're trying to avoid a task that's very difficult for them. And then if it's a reading difficulty, where is the reading difficulty? Is it in comprehension? Is it that they can't read quickly? Is it in the decoding of the words on the page, which is rooted in phonological processing? So, the, so if you don't know why a child is struggling, you really don't know where to intervene. And that is so important in helping kids really to address their struggles and to help them thrive.
0: Yeah, so getting the right assessment helps to discover that why and what the specific issue is that the child is struggling with. So if you would, please describe the components of this type of assessment and what the ultimate goals should be. Mm
1: -hmm. And So the type of assessment can vary. There's a number of different types of assessments, and it really depends on the nature of a child's struggles when those struggles kind of emerged and how significantly they're impacting the child's life. So if a child, for example, is doing well academically, is doing fabulous socially, and it's really, you know, we think this is really a specific attention issue. We just want to determine if this is ADHD. Well, you don't need a full neuropsych assessment to make that determination. A good clinical interview, a good diagnostic assessment will let you ha- will give you that information whether or not it's ADHD, um, but if, there, if you suspect there's something else going on or you have no idea, then you have to evaluate a number of different areas to rule out that this is not a language issue or this is not um, a, a math disability or a reading disability or dysgraphia or ADHD or something else. And so you might need to do something more comprehensive when you just don't know what the issue is. And so you wouldn't want to do it piecemeal where you're, let's see if it's an attention issue. Well, okay, that's not working. Well, let's see if it's a reading issue. You would want to do it, look at it more globally and more comprehensively when you really have no idea where the struggles lie.
0: Yeah, well, it sounds like there would be mm-hmm. a lot of advantages in obtaining that sort of a comprehensive evaluation that you're describing. Can you, can you go into detail a little bit more about what those advantages are and why a parent's should do something that comprehensive mm-hmm. when they see that their child is struggling and they really can't pinpoint mm-hmm. what the issue or issues are, because very often, as we know, um, especially for people with special needs, those on the spectrum, mm-hmm. um, very often there's more than one comorbidity, comorbidity, I should say, present, mm-hmm. uh, that's happening simultaneously.
1: Yeah. And I think that's one of the advantages of doing something more comprehensive is that when you don't know, and when there's a great likelihood that that it's more than one thing, or it's a number of overlapping difficulties, then that is the value in doing something more comprehensive because you're really assessing a number of different domains. So, you know, what I do is a neuropsychological assessment, which is a comprehensive assessment that involves psychoeducational testing. So I'm going to look at things like a child's ability to problem solve. I'm going to look at visual spatial skills. I'm going to look at reasoning. I'm going to look at verbal comprehension. But then I'm also going to look at academics. And I'm going to look very closely at if a child is struggling academically, where are things breaking down for that child? And so, again, you know, I use the example of reading that um, for some kids, reading can break down for them at the level of comprehension, where they can read beautifully and fluently, but they can't understand what it is that they've read. And for others, the struggle is in actually decoding those words on the page, that it's really rooted in phonological processing. And so I'm going to give a number of tests that tell me if the child is struggling with reading, where are things breaking down? Because that's where you're ultimately going to intervene. I'm going to look, and I'm going to do the same thing for writing, and I'm going to do the same thing for math, because for some kids, they can do math calculations, but once you put that mathematical information in the form of a word problem, they have no idea what you're talking about. And so it may be that there's a language-based issue that's affecting their ability to understand math word problems. So you have to kind of dive in a little bit more deeply at each of those academic areas to kind of, again, identify where the struggle is. And so reading, writing, and math, those are the basics for the academic performance. But then I'm also going to look at processing issues that can interfere with learning. So I'm going to look at attention. I'm going to look at a child's ability to pay attention over a short versus a long period of time. And a lot of that information about attention is not going to come just from the testing with me. And actually, the the, the most important information is going to come from questionnaires completed by parents and teachers. Because being with me one-on-one in a room that is very controlled is not similar to the kinds of envi- the kind of environment where a child is going to be doing homework and having to do class having to do schoolwork. So I want to get information from parents and teachers as to how this child is able to focus, complete work, complete tasks, where the difficulties lie in the classroom and at home. So I'm going to look closely at attention. Um, and I'm going to look at executive functioning. Um, particularly in elementary school children past the second or third grade, it's going to be very critical because they're starting to build those skills. Even though they're starting to develop those skills um, in toddlerhood, they really continue to build on those skills in elementary school and middle school. And then there's a high demand for executive functioning in high school and beyond. But I'm going to be looking at things like planning and organization and working memory, um, all of those higher level executive functioning tasks which can become a problem for a lot of kids in middle school. For some kids, they've managed school beautifully, even with learning challenges all through elementary school. It's been difficult for them, but they've got it done. And then once they kind of, sometimes for some kids it's fourth grade, for some kids it's middle school, when those executive functioning demands are high, we really see things fall apart for some kids where now they have to organize three different types of classes. Now, in addition to the basics of reading, writing, and math, they've now introduced you know, a science class and um, a geography class, and now they're really struggling with kind of planning the homework and planning papers they have to write and managing their extracurricular activities, and they really start to struggle. So I want to know the extent to which executive functioning is a problem and how that's impacting them academically, because that's important as well. Um, executive functioning can also play a really significant role in writing because writing is such an interesting task. It's probably the one academic task that requires more executive functioning than any other. Because when you're writing, you have to, if you think about it, you have to think about, you know, what are you writing about? And then you have to think about your plan for this writing. Where am I going with this? How am I going to elaborate on these different concepts? If you've got a thesis statement, then you're going to support your thesis statement with elaborations, and you have to organize it and plan it. And while you're doing all of those things, you have to pay attention to your spelling, your grammar, your content. And for kids with attention issues and executive functioning issues, it's extremely difficult for them. And so a lot of times what kids will do is they'll write as little as possible because it's so overwhelming, but they've got all these great ideas in their head that they just struggle to get out. And so what we want to do again is identify if this, if writing is being impacted by difficulties with executive functioning, then we want to intervene at the level of executive functioning. But again, if we don't know that that's the problem, then we don't know where to intervene. you know, I talked about, um, Attention. We're also looking at learning and memory because sometimes teachers will say, you know, I've taught this material over and over again, but they, this child does not seem to remember the information that I've told them. You know, I teach it on one day and the next day it seems that they've forgotten. So what I want to look at, is there a memory problem? Is there a prob- this child have difficulty encoding in information into their memory? And what I've noticed for a lot of kids is that it's not a memory problem because I've done memory testing with them and their memory is, can sometimes be exceptional, but where the breakdown is, is an attention. And what I often tell parents and teachers is that you can't remember something you didn't pay attention to in the first place. And so what may look like a memory problem could be an attention problem. But again, if you don't assess for both of those things, you won't know which one it is.
0: Everything that you're saying, Karen, makes such wonderful and perfect sense. And uh, and it's just so interesting to hear about all of the different facets that are involved and all of the different possibilities that could be contributing to an issue or a challenge that a child is having. And also, I think you made a very, very good point about the fact that these challenges can occur at any time. The child might have been managing to get by in elementary school, as you say, but then they hit middle school or even high school and all of a sudden there's a breakdown and all of a sudden things are not jiving and and they're having problems that they were able to cope with before but are no longer able to. So um, once the evaluation is complete and once you've kind of pinpointed more or less where that breakdown is occurring. What do you feel are some of the best kinds of treatments for dealing with these neurodevelopmental issues that you've described to me that will help
1: remediate the problems that a child might be having? I think, I mean, that's such a loaded question because it really depends on what the child is presenting with. And so I can kind of speak generally in terms of what are some of the interventions that have worked for different kids but it really depends on their profile you know one of the things that I, I didn't mention was that also we're doing an evaluation of language because for some kids it's an expressive or language based issue and in that case to to piggyback on your question is that it may be that this child needs language therapy or needs some kind of a, um, um, speech therapy to address the issue and that may be where where the, where the intervention is. Um, for other kids who are struggling with, with reading, with writing, with executive functioning, with math, an educational therapist may be someone who'd be able to help them with, uh, with, with where they are in their area of difficulty and to help them develop the skills in that area of weakness. Um, so, that they can be more proficient in what it is that they're doing. And, you know, educational therapists are trained to really work with kids who have these learning profiles and they've been, you know, trained in specific interventions for these difficulties. And so they're well equipped to work with kids who've got dyslexia and dysgraphia and um, dyscalculia. And so that may be where the intervention needs to be if that is a particular difficulty that a child is struggling with. Um, for some kids, it may be getting some homework help that they're just having trouble managing all of this, this work that they have and they may need some help with with um, getting started on tasks. They may need someone to just sit with them while they're doing the work because they've got a difficult time kind of sitting still. And so they may have a good grasp of the content. They may have no difficulties with reading, writing, and math. But because of hyperactivity or difficulties with executive functioning, they may need someone to help organize them and to kind of be that physical cue to keep them seated while they're getting the work done that they need to get done. Um, and then other interventions would, would include you know, involving the school and classroom accommodations for a child who has a really slow processing speed that impacts their ability to complete tests in a timely manner. You would, you would arrange for extended time for that child. Sometimes, you know, the seating where a child is seated makes a significant difference. For example, if a child is very easily distracted because of ADHD, then you want to make sure that they are seated in the classroom in a location that minimizes distractions for that child. Um, It may be taking examinations in a private room or coming into class early to take an exam so that they can have the extended time or have minimal distractions while they're doing that work. And so it really, again, depends on what it is that I find during the course of an assessment because that will tell me where the intervention needs to be. And the other aspect of the assessment is also to look at a child's social and emotional functioning because for some some kids, what looks like an attention issue is really anxiety. And in other cases, sometimes learning issues have been unaddressed for a long period of time. And... The stress of years of struggling with an issue and having it not be addressed can contribute to depression and anxiety. And so, making sure that child has the social and emotional support in the form of a, a psychotherapist, um, a, a group, a group program, group therapy um that would be appropriate for a child who's struggling with some social and emotional issues. And for some kids the issue is social. You know, they have difficulty with social skills that may be associated with ADHD or an autism spectrum presentation and they want to experience more success um, interpersonally. And so a social skills group um, might be an appropriate intervention. So it really depends on, again, a child's unique profile, the neurocognitive profile, the social-emotional profile, um, their medical background, um, family history. You know, if you've got a child who's struggling with depression and ADHD and they have a history of family responding well to medication for either of those issues or both of those issues, then that may be something to explore, particularly if other behavioral interventions have not worked.
0: Well, it sounds to me like the greatest benefit, or at least one of the greatest benefits of this type of approach and evaluation is the fact that it really is a holistic approach. It really is the whole person that this takes into account and approaches it from all these different angles that then leads to not necessarily one, but perhaps a group of appropriate treatments to address the different whys that have been discovered when this evaluation is completed, um, it sounds like something that's not only important but but also crucial for many families to have done for their child to to be able to assess and evaluate and pinpoint where the struggles are.
1: I absolutely agree and and you know we always you know their parents are bringing in their child because the child is struggling but parents and and families want to be supportive and involving the parents and the family in that intervention is is so is such an important part of next steps after the assessment because parents want to be able to support their children and they may need skills and strategies and how to do that so it's it may not just be I'm going to get educational therapy for this child who's struggling, how can I be a better parent to my child who has ADHD? And so it may be it may involve some parent training or some parent coaching or family therapy to address those issues. And so that kind of speaks to your your observation of this being really a holistic process from from assessment to intervention. It's really about looking at the child from so many different angles and realizing that you know the ultimate goal is really To not only identify why a child is experiencing difficulties but to provide the appropriate support and help so that this child can really um, have academic and social success and and thrive and reach his or her full potential.
0: Well at this point Karen is there anything that you would like to add that we haven't covered yet and what do you feel is the most important takeaway that our listeners should have from this conversation?
1: Um, I think that we've covered a lot. (laughs) I I really think (laughs) we've covered a lot. (laughs) And I think the one thing that I would say is that when a child struggles, um, there are so many things that people say to explain away the struggles. And I think we have to be really mindful of Of those things, and' because we don't want to miss an opportunity to really give a child the support they need when they need it, because so often I hear he'll grow out of it, or she's just a girl, mm-hmm. or
0: mm-hmm.
1: if she just would try harder, she'd be fine, and I think we do kids a disservice when we wait too long before we really become active in in figuring out why a child is struggling, so I think one takeaway would be to intervene early? Do they investigate early? Because the research is clear that when you intervene early, you get the best outcome. And when kids struggle unnecessarily or they, they work with an undiagnosed learning or processing or social emotional issue, they're more likely to experience social emotional difficulties later on because they've been struggling for so long. And that creates a great deal of stress on a child. Um, And so I think a takeaway would be to really pay attention when a child is struggling and to have those discussions, make those observations, but don't wait too long in that observation phase, but move very quickly to evaluating how to provide appropriate help.
0: Uh, That's very good advice. And I agree with you completely. So uh, tell me, what is the best way for our listeners to reach out to you directly if they have questions or they want to know more?
1: Um, They can reach me via um, email. They um, can be reached at drkiewilson at westlaneuro.com. And so that's one way that they can reach out to me. They can also reach out to me um, on my website, which is um, drkareniwilson.com.
0: Okay, wonderful. And repeat your email, if you don't mind, one Mm -hmm. more time
1: and spell it out as well, please. So it's drki. Wilson, at WestLaneuro.com.
0: Well, thank you again, Karen, so very much for taking the time to share what I think is some extremely important information with me and with our listeners today.
1: Thank you, Gilda. It's been a pleasure.
0: I also want to thank our listeners for spending a part of their day with us. I'm Gilda Evans, reminding you to take care of yourself and that special person in your life.